0: I remember when 12 cards was 35 cents. And
1: Tim Parrish. I'm obviously not the person to talk to when it comes to ROI.
0: This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 2022-23 OPC hockey card set. We're also going to talk about the 22-23 Upper Deck Series 2 checklist that just dropped, and then we're also going to talk about the big announcement that Upper Deck made late last week in that they're going to be changing the configuration of their Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2, and Extended Series cards starting in 23-24. And if you haven't heard, this is actually pretty big news in the hockey card Collecting community because it's changing the status quo, and you know how much collectors like change, Tim.
1: You know, we love change, we love it so much that we fear it. Just when you thought you were just dancing along to the rhythm of life, you realize you're completely tone deaf and have two left feet.
0: And that's so. coming from a musician,
1: that's right. So. so, change is bad, just kidding. Sometimes it's necessary, other times it's suspect and we'll get to that.
0: So last week we talked about James Reimer and how he chose not to participate in the warm-ups when the San Jose Sharks had their Pride Night because he didn't want to wear the Pride Night warm-up jersey, and that happened earlier this year with Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov, and now it seems to be happening not even once a month or once every other month, but it seems like every time we turn around, this has become another topic of discussion or the discussion continues. So recently we had Mark and Eric Stahl of the Florida Panthers who said they were not going to participate in the Panthers Pride Night during the warmups and wear the special jerseys that they wear for the 20 minutes and then they're auctioned off for charity. And then the Chicago Blackhawks said, Hold our beer because we're just not going to have any players wear the Pride Night jerseys on Pride Night, which otherwise they had like certain like decorations and stuff up in the uh, atrium at uh, the United Center. They have like this atrium area where you can kind of mingle and mull around before the game. They were still all in on this Pride Night but they just weren't going to have the players wear the jerseys. And that is because three of their players are Russian and they're concerned for their safety. No offense to Anton Kudobin, but calling him a Black Hawk player, I almost feel like we have to put an asterisk next to it. Like, yeah, he's a player for like the rest of the season and he's going to be on a different team by July 1. thing is, you
1: know, in Provorov's case, obviously he talked about
0: the Religion. religious side of it. Yeah.
1: And then you had the Wild completely cancel theirs, but they still did all the events.
0: Right. Right. Everything except the, Ran- the jerseys.
1: You had the Rangers cancel theirs secretly, not tell anybody they were canceling it, but still do all the events, just not do the jerseys. And now you have the Blackhawks, you know, still doing the events and the things, just not the jerseys. It seems to be that the jersey and the stick tape thing is, no pun intended, the sticking point to this because they're still doing the events. They're still doing the bringing people in and and having them go out on the ice and doing all that kind of stuff. It's just the jersey thing seems to be the, the sticking point. And this is going to keep coming up, and it's going to just get beaten to death until everybody's completely sick of it because that's where we're at. It's no longer about the event. It's no longer about whether they should or shouldn't wear the jerseys. It's about what controversy can we dredge up because of it and which player can we target so we can make a story out of it? I feel like that is what it has become. So it's lost its meaning. You know, what it was set out to do and what it was designed to do, it's losing its meaning because it's drawing attention of from the event and what it's supposed to be about. And it's putting that focus on individual players and whatever their opinions are.
0: And who is the uh, Sabres player now?
1: Ilya Labushkin.
0: So now he's not participating or did not participate in the no. Sabers warm-up.
1: Yeah. Now, Labushkin didn't go to the, you know, I'm Russian Orthodox or I'm Christian or I'm this or I'm that, like some of the other players have. He basically just said, look, I don't feel comfortable with this, essentially based off of the fact that he's Russian and there's kind of a deeper connection there between, you know, Putin's laws that were passed back in December that were, you know, anti
0: LGBTQ. What,
1: yeah, but I mean they they essentially called it non-traditional sexual relations rather than put a tag on it. Any propaganda that's used media, advertising, movies, social media, whatever it is, to promote that or to support it or whatever is technically illegal according to that law. Now, how much reach he has outside of russia and outside of you know his own realm that's really not the question the question is here's a person that they could do it but in their own mind they don't feel safe doing it do we call him a liar and say he's just making up crap and it's not true i mean i don't know how you can because you don't know what he's thinking you don't know what's going through his head i mean these could be legitimate fears it could be bs But it also could be a legitimate fear. You're talking about a guy that spends three months out of the year in Russia? So something could happen if he went back there.
0: Do you remember when Artemi Panarin went AWOL for a while?
1: Yeah. Not only that, look, one of the best players in hockey, Kuro Kaprizov, couldn't even get back to the United States for the longest time. People were actually questioning whether or not he'd be able to play this year because it was impossible for him to get back from Russia over the summer. You know, Panarin went AWOL because of certain things that he may or may not have said or or done or supported or whatever, and maybe things that relatives said back over there. Look, have we seen other pride nights? Absolutely. We've seen other Russian players wear them. I mean, just the other night, you know, Bob wore one in Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, the same night that the stalls refused to. When the penguins held their Pride Night back in December, Malkin had a jersey on, he was out there skating. You know The Capitals have done stuff. Ovechkin's participated. And Ovechkin still has a picture of him and Putin on his social media page. I don't think it's individual players just picking and choosing what they want. This is a personal opinion. If they don't want to, they don't have to. The league has it mandated that they have to do this. This is a team-by-team thing. And both Bettman and other officials have come out and said this is a team decision. If a team decides they want to do it, they do it team decides they don't want to do it they don't have to do it and they're not forcing players to make a decision one way or another it's their choice they can do it if they want so like i said i'm not calling any of these people a liar i think this this could be legitimate fears if they throw on a pride jersey and there's some type of interpretation of whatever law enforcement that could happen and there's a risk there sure bill daly said there is no apparent risk involved that he can see or that they've done research and found out They don't know. Plus, you can't get in somebody's head. You don't know what they're thinking. You really don't. So it's just speculation. You know, it's funny. I don't ever agree with a lot of the stuff that Larry Brooks writes. I don't know if you know Larry Brooks. He's a media guy. He's a writer. I think he writes for the New York Times. So right there should tell you I probably wouldn't agree with him. But he did say some stuff uh, in an article talking about, you know, how the NHL has essentially lost focus on what this was supposed to be. Kind of what I said earlier, but more to the likes of I think the words he used was the NHL put itself square in the vortex of a culture war and one that never abates because it never will. Because you always have one side, and you have the other side. But the problem here is that every word that anybody uses is instantly judged and every act is immediately weaponized for the other side that doesn't agree with it. And I absolutely agree with that opinion. Because that's exactly what happens. You know, if you have a handful of players, which again, I don't think this is a institutional problem within the NHL itself. Because if you look at the grand scheme of all of this, I'm not trying to diminish its significance. We're talking about a handful of players, though. A handful of players that have raised an objection to wearing something for two minutes during a warm-up drill. I don't think that that is like a widespread problem, especially for something that's not a mandate that they have to do it. Is it disappointing? Absolutely. When it comes down to the whole inclusion thing and selling an identity of inclusion and that hockey is for everybody and diversity and all that stuff, is it a shame that there's players that don't want to participate? Absolutely. Because the optics make it seem like they then don't support the inclusion. But that may or may not be what's really going on there. Even Brian Burke, who is a very, very big proponent of diversity and inclusion, even he went out and said, look, I'm not going to say what's in other people's heads. Yeah, it's disappointing, but people have to understand that we are way better off when it comes to the diversity and inclusion aspect of the NHL than we were, let's say, 12 years ago, way better off. And to sit there and focus on a couple players, six, even 10 Mm -hmm. players out of everybody in the NHL, diminishes all of the accomplishments that have been done up to this point to move things forward and move the needle forward. I think he's absolutely right when he says that. I'm paraphrasing, but you can look up the quote. He's said it multiple times. And, you know, whether you choose to embrace what's going on because they're not going to force you to do it, whether you choose to embrace it or not, that's your choice doesn't necessarily make you a bigot just like any other charity or event or anything else you're not going to endorse every single one of them that comes to you and says hey donate money to us you're not going to participate in every single social cause that's out there you pick and choose the ones that are important to you that mean the most to you that's part of diversity and inclusion you can't exclude the excluders
0: i think the thing is is you don't necessarily want to prevent the other ones from happening when we're talking about charities and inclusion and stuff like that. You don't want to be like, well, I'm going to support this cause, but this other cause sucks and boo to this cause or whatever. And and that's of course that's not what you're saying or what I'm saying, but I think the thing is is that when an NHL team shows its support in some way for a marginalized community, whether it be LGBTQA, whether it be Latino, whether it be black, immigrants, refugees, whatever. It's definitely powerful when they say, hey, you know, we recognize you, we embrace you, we love you, we want you to be our fans, we appreciate that you're our fans, you know what I mean? And when you take a disenfranchised group and embrace them and say, hey, we support you, that says a lot. And then when it doesn't work out, then it's disappointing. Like you said, that was the perfect word for it. It's disappointing.
1: Again, to your point there, I wouldn't call this not working out. When there's five or six players just saying, you know what, I'm not participating.
0: No, no, no. But as you also said, so I'm not refuting you. I'm just basically regurgitating what you said because it was brilliant. Crap, no, I just lost my train of thought. I was paying you a compliment. It's (laughs) disappointing. It's shocking, right? You have those five or six players, and then you say, and then the message gets lost in that. Yes, correct. And and you were paraphrasing that
1: columnist. it, it It takes away from that. Like I said, Larry Brooks said it. So did Brian Burke. And, you know, think about it. I watch other sports. I, I don't just watch hockey. I watch other things, too. And, you know, again, in the Brooks article, he talks about he doesn't know of any other sport that put its full weight behind the LGBTQ plus community the way hockey has. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think about it. I'm like, no one talks about any of these initiatives or events from any other sport that I ever hear about, nor do I hear about players boycotting things because of these sports specific things and maybe that's only because i pay more attention to hockey but here's somebody that pays attention to almost every single sport especially in the new york market that writes that says about pretty much the same thing so i'm sure this is going to be a conversation that's again never going to end it's going to go on forever and it's probably going to be something that's going to be talked about the nhlpa is probably going to get involved with it whatever that is It's going to be more dialogue between the players and the team owners and the league and everything else going forward. And again, when focusing on the very small fraction of a percentage of the bad things turns into a completely counterproductive argument over the good things, it becomes a problem. So you're preaching inclusion, you're preaching diversity, and you're preaching not to be intolerant. Yet, if there's a dissenting viewpoint, you're intolerant. So you can't Mm -hmm. have it both ways. That's part of my problem and has always been my problem with picking a side. You know, the world's in a gray area, despite what people think. You're not always on the left and you're not always on the right. Most people live in this nice little gray middle area. So you forget that. The outrage and the anger overpowers all of the logical thinking, I think, sometimes. So
0: That is true. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about 2223 OPG hockey. So let me just give some of the basic statistics just to get this out of the way. It's OPG,
1: it's all basic.
0: Well, you know, but I mean, (laughs) yeah, it's it's pretty much been unchanged over the past however many years. 2223 OPG hockey cards released March 1st of 2023. It's about 60 bucks a box. For a hobby box, you get 18 packs, you get 10 cards per pack, so that's 180 cards. You get 124 base cards, you get 18 short prints, which are either marquee rookies or all-stars. The set configuration is 500 base cards, so those are the easy cards to get, 1 through 500. And then 501 through 600 are short prints. You have 40 all-stars and 60 marquee rookies. Strangely enough, there's no checklist for the All-Stars or Marquee Rookies. It's just 40 All-Stars, 60 Marquee Rookies. No short print checklist this time. And then Parallels, oh yes, there's lots of Parallels because Deck Gonna Deck with all the Parallels. So you got the Yellow Borders, which are actually exclusive to Blasters. You got Blue Borders, Red Borders, Neon Pink Borders, Red Borders, and Printing Plates. And then with the Marquee Rookies, they also added Rainbow Foil, Rainbow Foil Black, Rainbow foil green, rainbow foil gold, which are one ones. And then with the OPC retro parallels, which has been a staple of OPC for almost ever, uh, you got the retro parallels, which are one per pack. And then you got the blank backs, you got the black border, and then you got the printing plates. So that's just the basics on how the set is configured. So it's pretty typical of like the past 10 years or so. Um, I know there was one year where they had like 700 cards and they even had like some cards that had like two card number 713s. Some were like hobby exclusive, some were retail exclusive. That was a real messy set to try to collect. This is just one. So the one where the,
1: where like the Matthews card and the Kucherov card were the same number. Yeah. A couple years ago, a few years ago.
0: This was like mid 2010s, I think. that would have
1: been a a different year because this would have been after matthews they did it a couple years ago too where there was was a couple cards that had the same had the same numbers but yeah as far as the amount of cards, i have no problem with that i mean this that's the draw to this set is the fact that it's generally the biggest if not one of the biggest standard sets every year you know you have the 500 base cards plus 600 total with everything else that's in there the blue borders they've had those for a while the red borders they've had those for a while the neon pink ones came a couple years ago. So, you know, we've seen those for a while. Printing plates, they always have those. So that's not a big deal. But my issue is with adding the extra things for the All Stars and the rookie, the marquee rookies. Rainbow foil, I generally don't have a problem with because that was always a staple of OPG. Rainbow foils used to be in almost every release. And then they went away for like a minute. Then they came back. Now they're numbered out of 350 we don't need another number parallel in this there's no reason for that it's it's a low-end product it's a base product black rainbow foils out of 100 those were always the numbered rainbow foil that was out there but now you added the green foil out of 33 and the gold foil one of ones there's no need for that that's for a different product that's not for opg sure player collectors are going to like it maybe team collectors might like it But it's a lot of other fluff that's not needed in a set like this you already have the retros, so there's already something else that's different to collect and the retro design this year i don't know what it harkens back to have you figured that out is this Uh, like uh uh inspired by type set i mean usually it's inspired by something from like the 50s or 60s or something of that nature but i couldn't tell i don't
0: know this uh, almost looks kind of 1930s just because it has a lot of It has like a lot of lines, you know what I mean? That almost look like etched lines, you know what I mean? Like circles and lines and swirls. And I think of like those 1930s era hockey cards where you had like a player that was cut out and then you might have had like a pattern behind it. (laughs) Kind of like the SP Authentic before SP Authentic, you know, like here's a player cut out in front of patterns.
1: Well, that's what I was trying to figure out because most of them look like from what I saw, it's like a player cut out and superimposed over like a starburst behind them, mm-hmm. like rays of sunshine flying out from location. Like the player is got some type of deity thing yeah, like, going on. Yeah, like
0: that wood carving of the sun with like the face, you know what I yeah. mean? Like that, that sort of pattern is kind of like what it reminds me of. I tried
1: to figure it out. I couldn't figure out what that was. What that was? Yeah, I
0: mean... To, so. Upper Deck got in trouble when, in 8 09, they used the 79-80 Topps design, Tops and Opeachie design, for its 08-09 retro set. It had the blue borders. Think the Gretzky rookie year. That was the set that they basically based the design on. I mean, they just straight Not up. Not only
1: did the fronts look like it, the backs look like it, too, with yeah. the skate. He-
0: they just straight up used the design, and then right. they got in trouble with Tops, and they settled out of court on that. That was around the time Upper Deck was getting hammered with lawsuits because they got hammered by, let's see, they got sued by Tops for using their hockey design. They got sued by Major League Baseball because they were releasing cards, even though their license had expired, and they got sued by Konami for reprinting rare Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Oh, so, I mean, that, that, that was disaster. not a good time for Upper Deck. Like, everybody was suing Upper Deck at that time for something, it seemed. But it was too bad, because it was cool for them to use the old Tops designs, but Tops was basically like, hey, that's our IP, you can't use it. You can't use our, our old card designs.
1: If you had design IP, I think you would probably protect that to the ends of the Earth, too.
0: Well, I mean, we talked These about how iconic how iconic that set is, seventy nine eighty, And so, yeah. Anyway, so looking at the design of this set, though, the actual base card design, I'm going to say just up front, I really like this year's Opeechee design. It's clean, it's simple, it's worthy of the name Opeechee. Again, you kind of have like that starburst pattern filling the otherwise white borders, which just keep the cards from being dull. If they didn't have that little pattern... So they got, like, basically the player photo is surrounded by a frame, but it's kind of like a frame with, like, beveled edges and stuff, so it's interesting. And then outside of the frame, it has, like, that sunburst pattern or lines or diagonal lines, whatever you want to call it. And they don't make the Opeechee logo an obnoxiously big. I want it to be a little bit smaller because I feel like it just fills a little bit too much of that bottom area, but... It looks nice i really like this design
1: it fits the pattern of the design on the front for sure yeah my only concern was when i first saw this was looking at the base cards the card stock seemed to be the higher quality card stock rather than the old school stuff that had the dull backs
0: yep and i love it i love it i love it i love it bright white card stock on the back Black ink, you can actually read these cards. They're not printed on that brown paper bag card See, stock. I like
1: that. That's no. like old school. I like that.
0: No, but see, the thing is, is that it's worse than old school.
1: Well, it's worse than old school because we're getting old and we can't read the fine print anymore. <laughs>
0: no, but even like, okay, Tops used gray card stock. Opici used kind of an off-white card stock, so the OPC cards were always a little more legible. And then when you just print them on brown cardstock, it's like, oh, look, we made something retro. We printed on this brown cardstock. And it's like, no, that's actually worse than the 80s, not better than the 80s. To me, I like this because this is a subtle improvement. This is just like if 1980s card design evolved naturally. I mean, 89 Upper Deck Baseball basically threw that all out the window and just basically said, okay, this is what sports cards are going to be like from now on. If you took that out of the equation, this is kind of like what sports cards would be. They'd be nice full color photo on the front, nice design, nice bright white cardstock on the back. Yes, there's a little photo on the back that's black and white. Well, there were some 70s baseball cards that had black and white headshots on the back as well. So it's not the first time you had this sort of thing.
1: Um, I guess at least they're not glossy.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'll give it that. If you're the type of person who collects autographs, especially if you write to players and send them cards, these are the perfect cards for two reasons. One, because with 500 base cards, they make darn near every player, or the majority of them. And two, because they're not glossy, the ink sticks really nice to them. You know, and you don't have to do anything. Like I once made the mistake of trying to get a beehive card signed. Actually, I made that mistake a couple of times, and. The first time it's just like I watched in horror as like Martin Havlat signed my card and like the ink pooled on the front of the card. And he's like, I don't think the autograph is going to stay. And he was like telling the guy I should sign another card for him. That that autograph is not going to stay on the card. As like the ink was like pooling on it. I didn't have any other cards to get signed by him. So I, I just let it go. And then like I think years later I wrote to Renny Bork. And I sent a beehive card, but I rubbed it down with a white art eraser to try to get all the gloss off. And it still didn't stick well, the it's autograph. Yeah. Yeah. Something like this, you could just get it signed. You don't have to prep the surface or anything. So, yeah, big fan for that reason. I did um, see
1: that the uh, Opeachy Premier is back, but they're regular size cards now instead of the tall boys. Or is that not true?
0: regular size for a second here I kind of thought it was trying to look like a polaroid a little bit because the way the card is laid out at the mm-hmm. top it says premiere but it says premiere in multicolors and I think of the old polaroid logo that was in like multiple colors cuz polaroid was like color instant film and right. it's got like a black stripe at the bottom it looks a little bit like a polaroid but not really Maybe I'm imagining this. I don't know. I like these. It's not the kind of inserts that I would necessarily chase down me personally, you know, because it's probably like a million cards that I really don't want to chase down. But it's a nice looking design. I mean, they're glossy. It's got gold foil. It's got that OPG Premier logo and premieres in like rainbow, not in rainbow foil. It's just a colorful logo. It's an interesting insert. I like it.
1: Did you get any of the diamond rainbow? No. Those of those?
0: No, actually, I didn't even know about those until I looked online to just find out more about these. And I looked at those and go, wow, okay, now those look nice. Yeah, I've, I've, seen been... a f-
1: I've seen a few of those, but they're on much thicker cardstock. Mm. They're on like the foil board thick cardstock instead of the standard cardstock, but they look pretty cool.
0: So Premiere looks good. We got the playing cards are back for another year. My only problem with the playing cards is that they short print some of them. Like I got five in a box and you go, okay, five in a box. That seems like an attainable set, but then some of them are just ridiculously short printed. And then it just makes it go fun.
1: All the face cards are short printed and the ace is even less and the jokers even less. So that's all. That's pretty much always been the
0: case. Now this would be a set that I would put together. And I even remember back in the 90s, I think it was 95, 96 and 96, 97, Bicycle, who makes playing cards, big, popular, famous playing card manufacturer, they did NHL sets that year. Do you remember those?
1: Yeah, I have a couple decks of those.
0: I mean, I'd find them at Walmart for like $4.99 a deck and I'd buy them and I'd Actually, I wouldn't play with them. I'd put them in pages. I just thought they were cool. Like, okay, hockey cards, but they're playing cards. Like, actual, legit playing cards.
1: I don't remember what year it's from, but I have, like, a... It's either Swedish or a Finnish set as well that's a playing card set. I think it's from 90... I want to say, like, 94 or 95, maybe. Wow. It's an older one. But, yeah, it's, like, a La Liga set or or one of... one of those, I don't know if it's the Finnish League or Swedish League. I can't remember, but I know it's it's not in English, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. it's all it's all uh, European players.
0: So I like the base card design. I like that there's a lot of stats. They don't have complete stats. They only have up to thirteen years of stats plus totals, but that's fine. Thirteen is better than the usual five or sometimes only one year of stats they put on the back of the cards. I mean, we're never going to get that set where they try to cram all the stats on the back like they used to. Like, remember some of those, like, 70s cards where they'd be like, oh, we need to put all of Gordie Howe's stats on this card or all of Stan Mikita's stats on this card. And it just got, like, insane with how long some of these resumes would be. Or I think of, like, Dave... Dave Keon's 8182 Tops card.
1: Yeah, or you'll have you'll have the full print run of cards that are horizontal on the back, except for the guys that have a million years and they turn those vertical because right. they couldn't fit it horizontal.
0: Right, exactly. So it throws
1: off the whole format of the backs.
0: Yeah. You know, fun little fact, the 87 hockey hall of fame card set that was put up by Cardophilium, Gordie Howe had so many stats that they had to put on the back that they just lopped off their copyright line on the bottom. You're just like well we're out of room we're not going to have the copyright line on this card so that's the only card in the set that doesn't have a copyright date on it because they had to make room for Gordy Howe's ample statistics makes sense yeah I think the backs are nice but let me ask you something because I know I know you're a big fan of Opeechee you've been a big fan of this set for as long as I can remember and yep. you seemed like you were going to have a nervous breakdown when they weren't announcing that Opeechee was coming out you're like it's September and no word of Opichi. It's October. It's November. I still haven't seen a sell sheet. What's going on here? Right. So I'm sure well, you feel you a little no better. Well, because you had no interest,
1: yeah, and you had no, you had no word from anybody that if it was going to be canceled or what was going on, because this is usually one of the first sets every year. You know, they come out with MVP, and right after that, it's usually artifacts or Opichi. Those are like the three you usually see we've already seen artifacts kind of dumped to the middle of the season for the last couple of years. And, you know, whether that's going to be the new thing going forward, I don't know, but not having Opichi early on in the season is a scary thing. So, you know, when you don't see it and then, you know, it's a set that you generally build on an annual basis that makes it a little more difficult to uh, stomach having to go a year without it. I know I wasn't the only one that was feeling that way either. A lot of people were getting kind of nervous about it.
0: Well, you're the only one with the podcast who is getting nervous about it. We'll well, just say.
1: Maybe. Yeah, because the rest of the hockey podcasts only care about investing. So, But that's neither here nor there.
0: But hold on now. So because this set came out in March, some of the marquee rookies are guys who actually made their debut earlier in the season instead of just having the leftover rookies from the previous year now they have some of those and there are some great I know they call them holdover rookies and yeah when your holdover rookies are like Maddie Beneers and Owen Power I mean those two right there you know uh, and Jack Quinn
1: you got Matt Boldy in there
0: too Matt Boldy
1: in there Marco Rossi's in there who else is in there Kent Johnson's in there Jake Sanderson's in there Dylan Gunther Wyatt Johnston. So, I mean, if you go down the list of, like, the top rookies in the league this year, I mean, most of the guys are in there that didn't already have a rookie previous.
0: So now I wonder if there's going to be, are there going to be update cards in Upper Deck Series 2, which we'll talk about in a minute, but if they're putting all the best rookies pretty much in this set... is there mean, really look at
1: OPC to... every year, and usually the OPC set has all of the main rookies in it. And if it doesn't, when the PG update comes out and it's stuffed in series two or extended or whichever one it's in, then you'll see some of the other missing guys that weren't addressed. But I think most of the big ones are here.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got Shane Wright is in this and Iraj Slavkowski. Like I said, some of the guys that made their debut earlier this year. So I think if anything, by having OPG come out in March instead of September, October, just made the set, Better to collect because now there's 60 marquee rookies and there's a lot of good ones in there. And I mean, we've seen some years where it's been pretty lean with the rookies where they I still think of 12, 13. And I know that year was an anomaly or a bit of an anomaly. Well, no, because it was still an early season release. But, you know, there were not a lot of great rookies. They even had to do marquee rookies of guys like Wayne Gretzky, Patrick Waugh, Mario Lemieux along with Marquee Legends, because they're like, okay, well, we have 100 short prints, but we don't have 100 rookies. Heck, we don't even have 50 rookies, so we're just going to do rookie cards of Gretzky and Lemieux and Wah because we can, even though they're not really rookie cards or just them on Marquee rookies, you know what I mean? So sometimes they kind of had to pad it a little bit, and this is the opposite, where they're like, okay, here's 60 rookies, go.
1: Yeah, and you have enough of a a crop of, of guys that you can throw in there. I mean, I don't completely knock the 12-13 OPG rookie class. I mean, I'm trying to think who's in there. Chris Kreider. Uh, Kreider, that's the one. Kreider's the guy You got Kreider one. in there. Well, who else in there? Tori well, Krug's in there, I think. You got uh, Jason Zucker's in there.
0: Zucker's in there.
1: Yep, that's it. Those three guys. That's all. Sven Bartst
0: was in there, but he's no longer he's, in the league.
1: I was going to say he's I bet I bet a lot of those guys are no longer in the league.
0: And then anybody who is good enough to like make their debut that fall, they didn't have a rookie card till 1314. So that was a thing. 1314 we had that double rookie class again. Right. Let me ask you this though, as somebody who's a big fan of OPC cards, is this set still relevant because once upon a time Upper Deck would say collect the biggest set of the year. But now that Upper Deck has an extended series, AKA Series 3, which is what I really want to call it, to their Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2. So now we have a 750 card set across three series that has 600 base cards and 150, usually 150, sometimes 130 young guns. So, you know, now... Upper Deck is a 750-card set, and OPG is still 600 plus probably 50 cards that'll be stuffed into Series 2 as OPG update cards. So, I mean, they're pretty similar, but Upper Deck is the bigger set now. So, has OPG lost some of that relevance? Because it's no longer the biggest set on the block.
1: Has it lost its relevance? I
0: mean, for my I know you'll pers- still,
1: yeah, I you'll mean, still for collect my, it. For my own personal reasons, no, I don't think it has. And you know what? The only reason why I will tell you why, because Opechi doesn't require you to buy multiple series of cards and multiple series of sets and wait for multiple releases. It's one release, it's a single season, and everybody you're looking for is there. And that's it. Yeah, I'm not talking about update. I'm not talking about anything extra because... Most of the time, those are numbered differently. They're not numbered like the base. They're like you something. So you know they're part of something else. So I'm not talking about the update set. I'm talking about the general base set. In order to pull a general base flagship set, you got to buy series one. You got to buy series two. You got to buy extended. and You got to build it that way. Well, Peachy's still the only one where you can go and buy that. And all 600 of the cards that you can get to build the set are available in that set, in that box, in that release.
0: I feel like this is a technicality.
1: It's not a technicality. Would you rather have to buy five or six boxes of one set or five to six boxes of three different series in order to build this?
0: Well, but that's because the short prints are harder to get in those three different series when you have Young Guns one in every four packs. Sure. But these
1: short prints are, these are short printed too.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I got these one per pack this time around.
1: And you're supposed to get them one per pack. You don't get them like every pack has an all-star every pack has a rookie it's probably this pack has an all-star next pack has a rookie next pack has an all-star next pack has a rookie
0: pretty even i got 11 rookies and seven all-stars but you know what this is a small sample size it's just one box but But you also have to
1: remember they cut back on the number of inserts in favor of the parallels because they added extra parallels yeah so when you're adding the extra parallels, you're getting additional thing, like with all the rainbow foil board parallels that are available. So, you know, if you're going to add something, you got to take something away because the print run's not going to change. I still think that this is a relevant set because you're not going to pull all of this stuff. And if, let's say this does move to a mid-season release, granted we're at the end of the season at this point, but in their defense, Opichi was delayed let's say this becomes a middle of the season set well here right smack dab in the middle of the season you have an opportunity to get a whole bunch of rookies that may not have young guns yet now I'm obviously not the person to talk to when it comes to looking for bang for your buck and the most roi because I don't give a crap about that because I'd rather just collect for collectings sake but yeah are these guys gonna pull the same weight on the back end maybe not but a rainbow foil black parallel of one of the top rookies, that's a decent card. I mean, it's numbered out of 100. What are the young guns numbered out of? They're not! So here you can get a black foil rainbow parallel of a marquee rookie numbered out of 100 or numbered out of 350 or numbered out of 33 or even if you pull the one of one. Again, what are the young guns numbered out of? They're not because there's millions of them. So there is some scarcity to some of
0: this. This is something we always talk about, how like we're constantly perplexed on how collectors, maybe we say collectors with finger quotes, maybe not, but how collectors just have this general malaise towards anything that's not a young gun or a future watch auto. You know, or, I mean an
1: RPA from the cup
0: or something. Right. I think I brought up this example before, but somebody said, Hey, I'm looking for a off rookie. I was selling it a show. They're like, Oh, I got this capri off rookie. It's numbered out of like 399 or something. I, I forget what it is. I've told this story before. So in a prior podcast, I got the all my details correct. But the point is, is that I had a numbered rookie of this player. He's like, Oh, I wanted the young gun. I go, Oh, okay. Well, this one's only numbered out of, you know, 399 or 499 or whatever. You know, there's less than 500 of them. And, eh, you know, eh, eh, you know, so you say, oh, it's numbered to 100, but it's a marquee rookie. Oh, yeah, well, that's not worth anything, you know, and it's just like funny. Those
1: those people I don't have time for.
0: But from a collecting standpoint, they're not our competition either.
1: No, absolutely not. You know
0: what I mean? Because you say, hey, I really want to get one of these, whatever. Now I'm thinking about like, hmm, I kind of like this pink bordered card. I mean, it's obnoxious but I got a pink bordered Rupe hints card that's numbered out of 75. And now I'm thinking, hmm, it'd be kind of fun to get Patrick Kane in the different parallels because he's a player that I player collect. So now I'm thinking, well, it's a base card and it's short printed and it's serial numbered or this or that or the other thing. But the guys who are looking to flip cards, they're not really thinking of numbered base cards that much, depending who it is and how numbered it is and, how special the card is, then yeah, they'll go for it. But uh, yeah, we don't have to compete with those collectors.
1: Did you notice or have you found any yet? Because I haven't looked. Any Easter eggs in there? Like photo variations, black and whites, different jerseys, anything like that?
0: Uh, I don't think I got any photo variations, but you know what? I didn't look too hard at every single card that I pulled because you know Upper
1: Deck's pretty good for that every year. Throw yeah. that kind of stuff out there.
0: They have photo variations that are from warm-ups. And I think it's interesting because the one that they uh, show a picture of is of Matt Boldy in a Pride Night jersey with the Minnesota Wild logo, and it's got the rainbow design on it. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is what Upper Deck could do. me out on this. They could do a Pride Night inserts. Where the photos are of the players wearing the pride jerseys. And then for the borders, they do them in rainbow foil.
1: I think that would be a huge seller.
0: I think it would just because it would be eye-catching. Because we all love rainbow foil. People like photo variants. I think that would be really cool. Upper Deck, if you're listening, please, you can use that idea. You have my permission. Not that it's ultimately original.
1: If they really want to make it make sense. if, If they could do it as a set a box set and maybe include you know some type of parallel or whatever in the box set and the proceeds of it go to whatever whatever group or charity or something like that
0: oh that's a great idea i love that you know the other thing too is like you know then it gives guys like us an excuse to buy three or four sets be like but it's for charity but it's for charity although I make fun of people who say that. They'll be like, oh, I I spent $3,000 on this auction for this sports thing that I didn't need because I have a lot of money. But then they'll always add real quick. But it was for charity. And it's like, dude, if you want the thing, just buy the thing. If you want to brag that you have a lot of money, I can't stop you. But they always have to, like, brag that they have a lot of money. You know, I spent $9,000 on this thing for my man cave. And then they're like, but it was for charity, right? It's like, dude, you don't have to justify it to me. (laughs)
1: It's the same thing when my kids were growing up and whatever thing they were in, they were selling whatever for Christmas or fundraiser stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, do I want to buy a eight ounce bag of popcorn for $14? No, because I could buy like 50 of them for that price. But will I? Yes. But you keep the popcorn and I'll just give you the $14. How about that?
0: Wow, for popcorn. And I went to a friend's house and his daughter had Girl Scout cookies and I wanted to be like the cool friend, like, oh, yeah, I'll buy some of your Girl Scout cookies, you know, because me and your dad, we went to college and we're cool, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, I think they're five dollars a box, which ain't bad. But, you know, I still remember them being like four dollars a box and out or like five dollars a box. And I'm like, that's a lot for like 15 cookies. I mean, you can get like a bag of Oreos or like 30 cookies and it's like four (laughs) dollars.
1: I mean, I'll pay six, seven. I'll pay eight bucks for a box of thin mints. I don't care. But that's my jam right there. When it comes
0: thin mints to are scout gross. Cookies. Thin mints are for people who can't decide if they want to eat chocolate or chew a piece of gum. So they have a thin mint, and that scratches both itches at the same time.
1: Well, I'm sorry, you're wrong, but that's okay. There's nothing better than tossing a box of thin mints in the freezer and just eating them by the sleeve, frozen. Oh, they're so good.
0: Okay, well, a sleeve is one serving, right? Uh, as far
1: as I know, though, a box was a serving size, but I mean, <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm not that good of a reader. So.
0: Serving size, one box.
1: Yeah, there was a comedian, Brian Regan, used to have that as part of his set. He's mm-hmm. talking about Fig Newtons, how he loved Fig Newtons, but he's like, "Did you ever look on the container? Serving size is two cookies." He's like, "Who eats two Newtons?" Like, oh, I couldn't possibly eat another Fig Newton. No, you eat them by the sleeve, and you just. You know, unwrap them and just gnaw the whole thing down.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's two, how
1: I am with thin mints.
0: Two cookies is just getting started. That's just warming up.
1: Two cookies. That's enough. Like with a thin mint, two cookies. That's enough to stick the roof of my mouth, and I have to eat like five more to get it off.
0: Right. Yeah. So. Hey, you know. So getting back to the colored parallel thing. So you know, one thing that kind of came across my mind is I'm looking at my different parallels here, and I look at the red border and I look at the pink border, and I look at the How many of border. each did
1: you get in your box? You, you only uh, opened one box, right? Yeah,
0: I opened one box, so here's what I got in one box. After my 124 base cards and 18 short prints, I got five playing cards, five OPG Premier, 18 Retro, five Blue Parallels, two Rainbow Foils numbered out of 350, one Red Parallel, one Pink Parallel, which again is numbered out of 75, and one Black Retro Parallel numbered out of 100. So that's basically what I got in my box. You get more blues than anything else. So that's
1: about average.
0: What I would love this is another crazy idea that I'd love Upper Deck to do. I want them to do four versions of every base card with different colored borders, but I don't want them to number them. I just want them to be variations, but I want them to all be in the same print run. So let's say card number one is Sidney Crosby. So there'd be a blue Crosby, a green Crosby, a red Crosby, a yellow Crosby, and say card number two is McDavid, and you do the same four bordered colors. That way, and they'd all be the same, they'd all be printed the same. So it wouldn't be like the yellow ones, the rare one, or the red ones, the rare one. They'd all be in the same increments. So what this would do then, as a collector, you would decide then, do you want to go with all the same border colors? Or do you want to go with just random border colors? And I would go with random border colors because what I really want is I want a reprise of 73, 74. Top I knew top. that's
1: where you were going. Yeah,
0: of course. Of course, I'm bringing it back to retro because I loved the fact that as long as they're not like severely miscut cuz then you have like a red card with the, like a little bit of yellow at the top or a little bit of green at the bottom and it looks weird but 7374 tops had the four different colored borders and it was kind of random but i loved it cuz you page through it it's like so colorful and I'd love that. And could you imagine like, maybe you'd say, okay, I want cards one through nine to be just blue borders. And I want cards 10 through 18 to be yellow borders. And I want cards 19 through 27 to be green borders. Or do you just do like, okay, I want odd ones to be this color and even ones to be this color. You know what I mean? Like then you could like kind of customize how your set looks. I think that would be fun. And I think about that when I look at these different border colors of Opeechee this year.
1: From a, uh, Set building, choice option, that's definitely an interesting one. But I can tell you from a player collector, absolutely not. And from a team collector, absolutely not. There's no way I would get on board with a number like four. It's three, or it's nine, or it's nothing. That's it. Because I binder all of my team. If there's three, it's perfect. Three across the row, three across the middle, three across the bottom. If there's nine, great. One page. But if there's any other increment of that, that leaves empty spaces in a page, and it annoys the crap out of me. So, that's my take on that. It's it's three or it's nine or that's it because I don't want to deal with anything else.
0: Okay. Well, okay, I can strictly from an
1: aesthetic display. Yeah, I could, I could, I
0: could see three.
1: Yeah, so if you want to pick 3 of your favorites, whether it's blue red and yellow or blue red and rainbow or whatever it is, I'll take 3. But yeah, if you going to... more than 3, you got to go to 9. And Are unfortunately, like... Opeachy base is not the place for a 9 parallels. That's save that crap for platinum. That's fine for platinum. It's already bad enough that there's that many parallels in a base product like this. I, I'm not a fan of that again. I'm I'm fine with what they have, but I'm not a huge fan of it because it is a base product. Under no circumstances are you going to see me try to build a blue set or a red set, especially knowing that they're in much shorter supply than anything else. Yeah, are they numbered? No, but they are definitely short-printed when you can only pull four or five blue in a box or maybe one or two red. So, And yeah, do those carry value later on? No, but the star players do. I mean... You're not going to be picking red border parallels up for a quarter all day long. You'll get some of them, but there's no way. You couldn't feasibly economically build a set that. I'm sure there's some out there that do. And more power to you. I'd love to see one. If you can build a 600-card set of all red border, you have my respect. Yeah. You didn't get any of the weird stuff like the rookie puzzle bounty cards or Mm -mm. any of the trophy winners or anything? Mm
0: -mm. No, nothing, nothing strange.
1: Okay. The 3D lenticular marquee rookie cards. No, or those look cool. Yeah. Um, was last year the first year they did that or the year before with the lenticular ones? I don't know. They're it like impossible to pull. They're like one out of like almost 900 packs, I think.
0: Yeesh. Yeah, that's a lot of opichi. Yeah. Okay, so Upper Deck Series 2. They announced their checklist for a 22-23 Upper Deck Series 2. Yeah, it's going to of- be... The same old tried-and-true formula that we've grown to love over these past 18 years or so. 200 base cards, 50 young guns, notable young guns, and I'm probably missing a few, but we got Viraj, Slavkowski, Shane Wright, Arbor Jekai, Bowie, the Kraken mascot. Bowie, the Kraken mascot, mm-hmm. is getting a young gun. And it's yep. part of the set.
1: Yeah, it's not a it's not a like a giveaway card or a special card. Now but
0: Bowie did nice. have a giveaway card earlier this year.
1: Oh yeah, at the games. Like I think they were giving them out at the games or something like that. They were
0: giving them out at the games, but now he is actually in the set. And that's such an oddity because usually mascots are either an insert set or they're some sort of giveaway that they give out at the games and then they find their way into the secondary market. But here it's just kind of funny that they're making him a young gun. And I uh, guess he's pretty young cause he's the nephew of that bridge troll.
1: Yeah, he definitely, uh, definitely is a nephew of the bridge troll,
0: the bridge troll. Right. Was, it, talked... was it
1: nephew? Was that what it was?
0: Yeah, it was the nephew okay. of that bridge troll that's like their public art that was yeah, yeah. made just so that the homeless people couldn't sleep under the bridge, remember?
1: Yeah, we didn't bring up when we were talking about Opeechee, though, that there's a couple mascots in there, too. The Joker cards from the the decks.
0: Those oh, yeah. Mascots.
1: I, think I think they did, did uh, Bailey and Wildwing this year.
0: Okay. Can't be gritty every year. Yeah. So with Upper Deck, though, they got a couple other interesting things. They got a couple of new insert sets. They got one called Lunchbox Legends. Have you seen those? did. I like them. They're different. Uh, And then they got something called Greetings From, which is, I guess, a player. It's going to be like maybe the player in front of their city. So I guess it's like a hometown hero type of thing.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I haven't seen one. Actually, I didn't check Upper Deck's Facebook page. They usually put a lot of the other ones on there, but they may have something on there. I haven't looked at it yet, but that's what I was thinking. It would be like those MVP hometown hero cards
0: and then there's world junior grads which i already know what it's going to be it's going to be a picture of a player in their nhl uniform and then on the back they are going to talk about how this player played for team canada in 2016 or whatever and i'm going to say i really want them to be pictures of the players in their international uniforms but they're not going to do that
1: they're supposed to be the design of the 92 93 ones i thought at least that's what i read
0: I haven't seen any pictures of it yet, but I'm just I, saying like, yeah, I
1: haven't either. if
0: you're going to give us a card of Sidney Crosby in a set called world junior grads, I want it to be a picture of him playing for team Canada at 16 or 17, not a picture of him at 35 with the penguins, with just a bio on the back that says, Oh yeah, he played for team Canada when he was a kid in the junior championships. It's like, yes, we know that, right? Like I want those unusual or little often seen photos you know what I mean that early history that's something I love about hockey cards especially when you do like a retro or throwback kind of theme because they're called grads so obviously they previously played so that means there has to be photos of them with whatever team
1: you remember the set I was talking about right from 92 93 it had like that part of a globe with the latitude and longitude lines on it and it said world junior grads and it was like gold foil stamped across the bottom and then it had, like, a black border at the top with the player name. And then on the back, it said World Junior Grads and what class they were in.
0: Oh, okay. So, like, yeah. class
1: of 1990, like the Yager one. And it said what country he played for mm-hmm. and then a little write-up about him. Oh,
0: But you're yeah, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. All the pictures were them in the NHL uniforms. Yeah. None I of mean, them were of their international.
0: Let's talk about Lunchbox Legends. I like that set. It's fun. It looks like the player's on a Lunchbox. I kind of wish, again... This is me just wishing if wishes were fishes, right? Because the one that they show is Trevor Zegris. He's like on a lunchbox and he's got like this very loud background behind him. And I'm like, I wish he was illustrated as well as the background, if that makes sense. Like, it's pretty cool. You wanted him
1: to be cartoony looking?
0: Kind of. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I guess it's okay. It's cool, though. I like it. I recently bought a lunchbox. It was actually not really a lunchbox. It was a scale replica of a lunchbox. It was a hallmark ornament of an Empire Strikes Back lunchbox. This is when I was in uh, North Carolina visiting Jim Howard. He's big in the comic books. So, like, one day we hit a bunch of card shops and comic shops, and they had this Empire Strikes Back lunchbox, but it was a hallmark keepsake ornament. And I looked at that, and I'm like, how much is that? And the guy's like, oh, you can have it for $10. bucks. i am like, sold. I'm like had that lunchbox as a kid and it got destroyed somehow i don't remember how and then my mom replaced it with an indiana jones lunchbox which i still have and so i have my little empire strikes back replica lunchbox next to my indiana jones lunchbox on my windowsill in my kitchen and i just thought oh that's cool you know what i mean like it's just something fun and something different and kind of trippy kind of like those um Or those MVP inserts with, like, the graffiti backgrounds. Freestyle. Freestyle, right, exactly. Or, like, the portraits from 2021 with, like, the weird, lasery kind of 90s backgrounds.
1: When I saw the the mock-up on this one, the background, first thing that popped in my head was um, the Great Space Coaster for some reason. (laughs) I'm not sure why.
0: And not Yellow Submarine?
1: No. You know, I thought Space Coaster at first, and then I... I was like staring at the card and first thing I thought was, I hope this is die cut, but then I was looking at it more. I'm like, there's no way it could be die cut because I don't know how they could cut out the little handle part that Mm -hmm. wouldn't, I don't think that would work. And there'd be all sorts of quality control issues with that. So then I was staring at it longer and then I'm like, you know, this actually sort of reminds me also of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Oh yeah. Sesame street and electric company. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so that kind of reminded me of that.
0: Yeah, well, it's... Either that um, or
1: just whoever designed it was on acid, one or the other.
0: Well, but don't worry, folks, because there will also be the inserts that you're probably getting tired of, like Dazzlers. I'm not tired of Dazzlers, but some of you might be. uh, Honor Roll.
1: The the Honor Roll and the Dazzlers look exactly the same, I think.
0: And I will, because it's just a continuation of what they did in Series 1. But now there's going to be, like, more parallels of Honor Roll. Yeah. Yeah, like
1: a, a we need to of that. I am intrigued by the highlighters. Don't know about those. They're acetate. Hmm. And they're a hit. They're considered a hit in the box. And that's one of the things about these boxes is they have a hit. So it's either like a clear cut parallel, one of these highlighters, a rookie materials card, or something else. And I'm not sure what the something else is are, but I know the highlighters are considered one of the hits. Um, and there's five different colors and they are highlighter colors but they're acetate
0: so so they're going to have like that bright yellow or bright pink or whatever
1: yeah the mock up i saw was of Austin Matthews and it's green hmm. it's the green highlighter which is my favorite highlighter i use green more than i use yellow
0: interesting they're also bringing back Calder candidates which was last used in 9293 upper deck as an insert set hmm wonder why
1: 9293
0: Thirty years. Oh so. yeah,
1: thirty uh, years, huh? Go figure.
0: Gonna start doing that Tops baseball thing where Tops is always celebrating. It's always the twentieth, twenty fifth, thirtieth, thirty fifth anniversary of like. That's
1: what happens 85. when you run out of ideas? And you yeah. have to start recycling.
0: Yeah, but they only recycle between eighty five and nineteen ninety.
1: It seems like it
0: sometimes. I mean, how many times have we seen that wood grain eighty seven tops baseball border used on a modern baseball card set?
1: I mean, it's arguably one of the most popular design sets of all time. It's definitely also, most recognizable.
0: That's for one sure. of the most overproduced sets of all time. Oh, of course it is. Of course it oh. is. Okay, let's talk about the bomb that was dropped on us last week by Upper Deck. The uh announcement 2324 upper deck series one series two and extended series is going to have a new configuration so let me just summarize here we are used to a hobby box of upper deck having 24 packs we're used to those 24 packs having eight cards now In past history, blaster box packs had less cards or sometimes more cards, depending. But we're just talking about hobby just to keep this consistent. So we're used to our 24 packs. We're used to our eight cards per pack. And we're used to our six young guns per box. One young gun every four packs. Well, now what Upper Deck is going to do, is instead of 24 packs, there's going to be 12 packs per box, but instead of 8 cards, there's going to be. 12 cards per pack, so now we're getting 144 cards per box instead of 192 cards per box, because we have less packs, but the packs are going to have more cards per pack, but the box is going to be. Less cards overall. You're going to get one young gun, in every other pack. So you're still going to get six in a box, but now you're going to get one in every other pack. Remember there's only 12. Packs you're going to get three inserts per hobby pack instead of one insert per pack. You'll still get your Ford Upper Deck Canvas cards per box and there will still be Dazzlers and Honor Roll. There's going to be some new parallels. Outburst Silver, Deluxe, which is numbered to 250, Outburst Red, which is numbered to 25, and Outburst Gold, which is numbered 1 out of 1. So, lots of new stuff happening with 2324 Upper Deck. I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. I know somebody asked me on Twitter, and I'm like, I need to really think about this. I can't just give, like, a knee-jerk reaction, because at first I'm like, well, we're getting less cards per box, and that kind of sucks, But then I'm thinking, well, but it's kind of making the ratio of base cards to young guns a little bit closer. And I think that's a good thing. So let me just give this one example here. This year, for every 28 base cards, there's a young gun. But next year, there'll be 18 base cards for every young gun. So it's kind of evening them. It's still way harder to get a young gun one out of every 29 cards is a young gun and now next year it's going to be one out of 19 cards is going to be young gun so i think that's a little better maybe and then you kind of have more incentive you have to
1: look at it over the over the breadth of all of it yes yeah you would technically get more young guns per base card over a larger sampling let's say a case right right but you're going to get way less cards total
0: Less so base ba- cards.
1: so it balances out because you're jamming the packs full of inserts now rather than having one insert in a pack you have three in every pack.
0: Right, so, so we're getting a, a
1: ton of inserts.
0: A lot of inserts, ton. Yes. So like right now you get 168 base cards and six young guns. Next year you'll get 108 base cards and still get six young guns. So you kind of have more incentive to buy more boxes because I mean, honestly When the odds are in your favor, you can get a base set out of two boxes of Series 1, right? You call
1: it incentive. I call it inconvenience. Okay. (laughs) Because, I mean, really, yeah, your incentive, okay, I'm still going to get the same amount of young guns, so I'm going to buy, you know, three boxes or four boxes or a case or whatever. Yeah, those of us that would buy two boxes, as long as we could ensure they came out of the same case chances of us getting a base set were probably pretty good. Right. Now it's not happening. This is just another way to squeeze out the base collectors. There's very few of us left. And this is another way to squeeze us out.
0: How many boxes of, say, Series 1 do you buy before you just resort to trying to trade or buy the young guns that you need?
1: From a set building standpoint, two.
0: So after two, you don't buy any more after that. You build your base set and that's it.
1: No, because generally when I go to buy, I'll make sure I'm buying, knowing that the stuff came from the same case. Right. Way there's less opportunity for it to be doubles. Not that there aren't doubles in a case because there absolutely are. But if you can get two boxes that are back to back, generally speaking, you're going to get a whole bunch of doubles, but you're going to get the ones that were missing out of the first box. Right. So that's usually a safe bet. I don't generally like to go and buy rogue ones by themselves because i don't know what i'm going to get now in years past and i know this is stupid to do but when i don't want the other product including the inserts and everything else i've resorted to buying retail fat packs because that's helped me build sets and i know we've always railed against fat packs because they're not worth it because it's just a pack full of base cards for six seven eight nine bucks but generally speaking five fat packs and I can put a good portion of the set together from a retail standpoint. Again, you don't want the hits, you don't want the inserts, you don't want any of that kind of stuff. Sure, do it. But that would be the only reason for me to do it. But I'm generally not going to buy more than two unless I have a reason to.
0: Right. And see, I'm kind of the opposite. Like, I'll buy more boxes because, you know, sometimes I want to take that chance especially if it's like a high value young gun. Okay, so like 1516, I should have just bought the damn Connor McDavid young gun. But instead, I bought so much series one, I can't even remember how much I bought. But when I sat back and like totaled up how many boxes and packs and whatever that I bought, I'm like, I should have just bought the McDavid card. And I could have bought like every card and a base set. And like, saved a lot of money. And I know that takes some of the fun out of
1: it. It takes the fun out of it, but now here you are, fast forward, and you have like buyer's remorse on the whole thing. No. At the time, you didn't, and you enjoyed opening the packs, and you probably liked building the sets, and you liked what you pulled and everything else, but you didn't get the card you were looking for out of how many boxes, how many packs? And a it lot. never, yeah, and it never showed up. You go and look at the population reports of just the graded ones, and there's, Tens of thousands of them out there. And you know there's a million, but you didn't get one. Because that's the luck of the draw, because that's the gamble. For me, though, I'm only looking to build the set. And I know I'm not going to build a set out of two boxes, regardless of what the collation is. Whether it's upper deck now or upper deck next year, it's still going to be six young guns. So if I buy two boxes, I've only got 12 out of the 50. So is that going to do me any good? No. I mean, yeah, it gives me 12. But... I'm not chasing down the young guns right off the bat. I want to build the base and then build the young guns after the fact. Because, let's face it, after the season ends, like, for instance, you know, we talked about Series 2 for this year and the Series 2 checklist that came out and some of the great players that are in that set. But, yeah, I can ramble off 10 of these really good players that have made a name for themselves in the NHL already, but I could probably name off 20 more that... Either no one knows who they are, they haven't made their NHL debut, or they've already been, res- you know, resigned to a career a- AHL player.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As we effectually know those as, the scrub guns.
0: Scrub guns. Yeah.
1: And, you know, a year from now, two years from now, you're going to be able to pick all these up for a buck. So I'm not that concerned about that portion of it, because A, I don't care about pulling the hits. Is it nice to pull the Maddie Beneers? Out of Series 1 and not have to worry about buying it on the secondary market? Absolutely. And I did that. It doesn't happen all the time. You bought a bajillion fifteen sixteen, No Connor McDavid. Okay, well, it happens. I bought two boxes of Series 2 that year, and I got a Jack Eichel out of each box. Right. It's just the weird odds. It just happens.
0: Okay, so 2021, a couple of years back, I bought a lot of Series 1. Did not get an Alexei Lafreniere. Bought a lot of Series 2. Did not get a Kareel Caprice off. I just had like horrible luck. Ended up buying those cards on the secondary market. But I then I didn't get
1: an Alexa either. But I ended up pulling one on EPAC. Nice. So I still don't have a
0: Caprice So but last year with 21-22, I felt like there was a little more incentive because there were two hot young guns in series one. You had Trevor Zegers and Cole Caulfield. So I thought, okay, you know what? Instead of Me really hoping that I get one card out of 50 Young Guns. Now I'm hoping for two cards out of 50 Young Guns. And of course, I wanted one of every other one because I wanted to build the set. But it was just a little bit more fun when there were like a couple guys to chase after and not just one. And I kind of felt the same way about this year's Series 1 with Matt Boldy, with Matty Beneers, with Owen Power, with Jack Quinn. There was enough decent young guns that I bought a lot of series one. Cause I was just like, okay, well, you know, and if I pull two of one of these guys, you know, get a double, you know, I'm not going to be sad that I got, oh no, know. I got another Maddie Beniers. Oh darn. Well, that hasn't happened, but I'm just saying, you know, like definitely a little more incentive. Obviously when it's a stronger rookie class.
1: It's interesting you bring that up. Cause that that's a good segue to a point that I was going to make. Okay, so we already talked about the Series 2 checklist, and I honestly think that it's a really good, solid checklist. But if you look at pre sales for Series 2 right now, it's about 119 bucks, sometimes less. I saw from between 110 and 120 bucks for pre sale. You have to know that on release date, those are not going to be any less than 150. You have to know that, possibly more than that. Because of who's actually in that rookie class set. Now, fast forward to next year. Now you have a different configuration. You have potential for maybe a Lafreniere thing again. And why do I say that? Because everybody wants Connor Bedard. But we usually only get holdover rookies in Series One most of the time. Connor Bedard obviously hasn't been drafted yet. And he won't be playing for any NHL team from now until the end of the year. So, therefore, in order to get him in a Series 1 set, they would have to get another waiver like they did for Lafreniere in order to put him in there. Can they? I don't know. Will they? I don't know. So, what does that say to you? Bedard will be in Series 2. I, Unless I don't know see that for debuts sure. was
0: in October.
1: Maybe. But you got to think...
0: They do the rookie photo shoot like they've done in years past.
1: And if that's the case and they're able to rush out the photos and the prints quickly enough, then they won't have to delay the product. But I don't think Upper Deck is interested whatsoever in delaying this at all because they're going to start to get backlash from, you know, dealers and and everything else, especially everybody that pre-orders and all of that. Because here's the thing. That's what's going to drive this product, is having a strong rookie class. And this rookie class that's going to be drafted is going to be a pretty strong draft class. But Bedard is obviously the highlight of the whole thing. Yeah, we don't know how he's going to fare in the NHL, but right now on paper, he is a generational type player, and I'm not afraid to say that, because I've watched him play, and it's kind of ridiculous. But if we run into a production or a print scheduling thing at the point where it's a Put him in or don't put him in. If he gets carried over to series two, yikes! <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, there's probably somebody else that they could push behind him. But once you get to that point, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So it was just it's just something to think about. It was something that I was mulling over in my head. If they hedge their bets like they did with Lafreniere to try to use that to push the product, I mean, essentially it'll sell itself. So they won't have to worry about people getting ticked off about the configuration or the six of us that are still base collecting that are pissed that we have to buy four boxes instead of two. They don't care about us anyway, let alone the 2% of us that are on social media become vocal about it. They're not going to care about that. They're going to care about the people that are spending a bajillion dollars pre-ordering this and trying to get it from the distributors and through the Diamond Dealer program directly from them. And wondering why the product hasn't come out yet. Oh, by the way, we're still waiting on photo shoot material that we just took less than 30 days ago.
0: Oh, wait. So 15-16, they had McDavid in Series 1 that November. And that's because they did their rookie photo shoot like they did every year. Until COVID kind of nixed that.
1: But it was early that year. What? It wasn't during the normal normal rookie photo shoot time frame. They did that way earlier.
0: Like August.
1: It was like early in the year, I thought.
0: It was after the guys were drafted.
1: Yeah, but I don't think it was like later after the fact. Like usually they push that to closer towards when the season starts. And this was way like, it was like dead middle summer almost.
0: Well, no, but the point I'm making is that Upper Deck Series 1 came out that fall. It was out in November, because I remember buying boxes of it at the Chicago Sports Spectacular in November, about a week before Thanksgiving. So they could have Bedard in this set. I mean, heck, he could get drafted. They could take a photo of him from the draft. He could skate in that first game on October 3rd or October 4th. And then they say, okay, let's start printing cards. He's in the set. And then they, they have it, you know, six weeks later when they come out in like end of November.
1: And I hope so, that's what they do. So I'm he could saying, be in series one. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, if you follow the way things go, there's a possibility there. I don't think Upper Deck will do that. That's like cutting off your nose in spite of your face, but wait,
0: to not to not have him in series one?
1: Correct. I don't they think absolutely they absolutely
0: have that. to have him in series one because he's gonna be the driving force behind series one. Just like, like McDavid was the reason why EPAC was a success from the get-go because EPAC came out in early 2016. I think it was end of January, and they're like, hey, we're launching this thing called EPAC, and oh, you could buy 1516 Series 1 on EPAC, even though at the time nobody could find it at retail. Why? Because of Connor McDavid was in Series 1. If they're going to do this new configuration and basically change the way they've been doing things and let's face it what's what's a pack what's a hobby pack gonna be now if a hobby pack is like three ninety nine US
1: four ninety nine but yeah it's gonna be
0: five bucks a pack.
1: No it's cards. gonna it's gonna be eight ninety-nine you think so they, it's already been thrown out there
0: nine bucks for a pack of twelve cards
1: yeah that's an increase of about thirteen cents a card
0: nine bucks for twelve cards I remember when twelve cards was 35 cents and it was for fifteen cards and a stick of gum.
1: Yeah. Obviously we can't compare no but we can but... compare to less than a year ago.
0: Okay. If a hobby pack is four bucks at my local card shop, now it's gonna be nine bucks and they're adding four more cards to the pack.
1: Yeah. Average pack price right now is four ninety nine. It's gonna go up to eight ninety nine.
0: So it's almost doubling in price. Yeah. But they're not adding twice as many cards.
1: Uh, No. In fact, as we've already discussed, they're taking it from 192 cards down to 144. So average that out, and it's about a 13 cent increase per card.
0: So, what's a box going to cost? If right now, if a hobby box is between 100 and say 130 ish, based on who's in the box, because I mean, even Series 2 last year, kind of pre-sold high and then it settled down to about a hundred bucks a box when I started picking up boxes of that but uh what what do you think it's going to cost
1: I mean if you'd strictly do it on a price per pack basis based off the estimate on the individual pack prices I mean you're at a hundred and like 108 bucks roughly for a box but now you have to add all the additional markups and everything else so it's not going to shock me in the least if we're not at 170 right out of the gate
0: Wow. Now, one thing that I mentioned, I think this was on social media, I can't remember, but one of the reasons why I think Upper Deck is pushing this idea of more parallels, especially more numbered parallels, is because hockey really doesn't have a one-of-one that like all collectors stop and pay attention to. Like We get that in baseball. We get that in basketball. To a lesser extent, we get that in football. I, th- I feel like football is a different, kind of different collecting than, say, like basketball and baseball. So you have, like, whatever baseball player is popular this year. And then, you know, whatever rookie. And it was like, oh, it's the one of one refractor gold parallel, right? And then $20,000 or, or, oh, it's a kaboom card twenty thousand dollars. Somebody's gonna offer twenty thousand dollars if you pull the gold kaboom one of one Tom Brady or Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or whatever.
1: Yeah baseball you seem to have the super fractors in basketball you have the logo man cards. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know what you have football. I don't know what the one of one
0: kabooms man.
1: Are those ones though? I thought those were like out of ten.
0: But still what I'm saying though is that like you don't really have that in hockey. The best you got is a, a high-gloss parallel. Yeah, you got one-of-one one printing plates. And if it's a popular player, it's a popular player. But a printing plate is not like a one-of-one one rookie card.
1: Other than the shield patches, that's about the only thing.
0: Right. So what I'm saying is that hockey needs that card. Well, I don't think it needs that card. I think Upper Deck thinks it needs that card because they want the breakers to be like, oh my God, look at this. I got the one-of-one Connor Bedard, gold, parallel, young gun, and oh, somebody just tweeted me an offer for 20 grand, and oh, I'm sorry, real DFG, but you can't have this card now, even though you bought into our case break. Sorry. Even you though just saved
1: pipe... my marriage. <laughs> yeah, you just bought into our case break, but we're going to dip on the card, because like, that doesn't happen.
0: Never. No, no, right. Uh-uh.
1: Yeah, this is just a side note because this has been happening a lot lately, especially if you follow the hobby on all the different social media platforms. Don't get into breaks if you don't know what you're doing. Just don't. Please don't. If you don't know the breaker, even if you like the product and it's the best deal ever, because it's probably something's wrong because everybody's almost the same price. And, you know, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Don't break with people you don't know or don't trust. It's just dumb. You're asking for problems and you're asking for trouble because there's too many out there. There's way too many bad seeds out there. And there's way too many opportunities for people to steal stuff and be dishonest about everything. And there's plenty of platforms that won't do a stinking thing about it if they do. Or just don't get into breaks altogether and buy the stuff yourself. Sorry, that's my soapbox. I'll get off of it now. But yeah, having the one-of-one, I get it. The outburst gold thing. The card prints look kind of cool. I mean... The design of them and everything was pretty neat looking, but again, to have base card, the silver, the deluxe, the red, and now the gold, I don't want to be pulling out of that out of packs. I guess it's because I've already been programmed that all the parallels are on, for the most part, other than the high gloss, are pretty much shoved onto EPAC, and that requires some effort, unless you buy them secondhand, but... You know, you have to collect so many and you have to meld them into the other things and get the silver and then get the silvers and meld them into the golds or meld them into the spectrums or the speckled rainbows or whatever it is. It takes some work and takes Mm -hmm. some effort to try to do that. I don't want to have all these in packs necessarily, but there's nothing you can do. They've already done it. So we have these four new base parallels, three of which are serial numbered. You know, the one of ones. Yeah, I don't diminish anything you said on that. People are going to be clamoring for these, because that will be it. The Young Guns are already it. This will be it, it, because that's going to be what people want.
0: I mean, that's going to be the card that goes for five figures, and that's yeah. the thing, is that... Upper Here's deck,
1: what's so- going to tick people off, though, because they did announce that this is going to be found across all product, these new configurations, these new parallels, across all product does the all product mean EPAC as well because EPAC is technically product and if that does mean that oh if somebody pulls the top rookies as one of ones out of e-pack and not out of actual box product whew, just imagine the vitriol we're going to hear about that
0: yeah because then what's your incentive to go to your card shop and buy a box from them when you could just buy it on e and have the odds of getting something like that
1: well yeah and you know let's say old boy is in series one like we think he has to be and let's say his one of one card is pulled from epac and it's posted out there i mean there's no incentive to for anybody that's hit chasing to go after anything now of course epac stuff comes way later so the chances of that happening are probably slim to none. But again, if it's a configuration over all product lines, if ePack is included in the product line, then there has to be some reserved for the ePack.
0: Well, I there don't think they're going to gonna do this with retail packs.
1: Uh, with they're probably the, going to be
0: less inserts per retail pack. Probably not three, but two maybe. Because you get less inserts in retail packs anyway. Other than Young Guns, you still get the same amount of Young Guns, just the other stuff like Dazzlers and Canvas and stuff like that you get less of.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they cut some of it out and not involve it in the retail products, but I would think they would probably still make that available, just it's going to be a much higher thing. Like if a one-of-one shows up every three cases of hobby, it may show up one out of every 4,000 packs of retail or
0: something right
1: like that. so we'd be remiss if we did not at least mention the portraits cards and how absolutely over the top ridiculous they look
0: i haven't seen them yet
1: oh my good lord oh jeez! they put the Connor mcdavid card and i'm still trying to figure out if it was a joke or not mm-hmm. as to whether or not it was actually what they're going to look like or if this is just some kind of thing but essentially it's a picture of Connor mcdavid's head superimposed over A king sitting on a throne.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's horrible. So if that's
1: what the portraits look like, I don't even know what to say. But on Upper Deck's press release about everything, and on their little sell sheets, they have it on there. And the Dazzlers, again, sort of look the same. They showed those. They have the pop counts. Those are Mm -hmm. back. Population count cards. They do have special edition. So Upper Deck special edition, those inserts, they brought those back. And there's a few new inserts in there, too, so... 200 by 85. I thought that was interesting. Supposed to highlight the 200 foot players of the game.
0: Mm. So
1: then they have like superstar surge and step star zone or something like that. But yeah, I thought that portrait fun, that was something that was something.
0: Okay. Let's wrap it up then. Cause this podcast has been Something I'll say. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to follow us on social media. Tim is at the Real DFG. I'm at Puck Junk. And until next time, collect what you like.
1: For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.